Hello, my name is Lee Shellnut, and I'm the pastor of the Huntersville Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church. That's a mouthful, so we affectionately know of ourselves as HARP. We at HARP welcome you to the podcast of our preaching and teaching ministry. We're grateful that you've joined us. If you're encouraged by what you hear, we'd love to have you subscribe. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we love sharing the glorious good news of the Lord Jesus Christ as we preach and teach through the pages of Holy Scripture. So join us now as we open up God's Word. This is the invitation. Amen. You may be seated. As you do, if you would go into your bulletins to page 11 or in your Bibles to Psalm 118. On this Palm Sunday of 2021, we began a short interlude in our Habakkuk series. We began a short uh, series from the Psalms, and particularly from two Psalms, with today's message and then, Lord willing, on Thursday night, the Monday-Thursday sermon, and then also on Easter Sunday, Pastor Nick and I are hoping to come to the events, these so familiar events, the events of Holy Week, we, we hope to come to them through the lens of the Psalms, through the eyes of the psalmist, and particularly using two psalms, two great, two famous psalms. Of course, on, on Monday, Thursday, and Easter, Psalm 22 is the pick. And really on, psalm, uh, on Palm Sunday, the, the pick is Psalm 118. And so that's where we are. And I, I want you to remember that we recently touched a bit on Psalm 118. And when we did, we saw that it was a part of a group of psalms known as the Hallel Psalms. Psalm 113 through Psalm 118, the Hillel Psalms uh, from Egypt. And these were the psalms that Jews would sing uh, as they were preparing for, as they were going through, as they were celebrating, and as they were concluding the celebration of Passover. So this particular psalm was most certainly the very hymn that the gospel writers tell us that Jesus and his disciples sang as they left the upper room and went into the Garden of Gethsemane. So as we read Psalm 118, you be thinking about that, of Jesus singing these, this particular psalm, these words, and His disciples joining with Him. Uh, we, as we shall also see, the, the message of this psalm points us to the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. It points us to the resurrection. It points us to the ascension. And it points us to all these things and what they actually mean to us. So this and Psalm 22 are going to be key psalms for us this seven or eight days. So therefore give your attention to the reading of this glorious passage of Holy Scripture, this great festival psalm. I mean, this is what, what, the, what the Jews would sing as they are proceeding into Jerusalem, as they're celebrating the Passover. Give your attention to this messianic psalm. It's about Jesus. Give your attention to this psalm of thanksgiving, a Eucharistic psalm, a very fitting psalm to sing around the Lord's Supper. And as you do, again, imagine Jesus being the primary singer of this psalm. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. 
Let Israel say, His steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, His steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, His steadfast love endures forever. Now a singular voice sings, Out of my distress I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off or I warded them off. They surrounded me and surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling. But the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but He's not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you've answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Notice now there's a choir singing. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and He has made His light to shine upon us, buying the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for steadfast love endures forever. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be unto God. Besides its clear connection to the events of the first Palm Sunday, why turn to this psalm today? Well, because your pastor has chosen it, right? <laughs> because it's the one before you. Because it's the one you've got to listen to or listen uh, to the sermon about. But there are more reasons than that. Why use this psalm? Well, one of the first things I'd like to say is because my fathers and your fathers in the faith have loved this psalm. This is one of the most beloved psalms of the entire Psalter, the Old Testament people of God, the ones who first sang this psalm. They loved it. And they loved it and they sang it in their, in their festivals. They sang it in their festival uh, processions because it connected with all their history, right? 
I mean, think about it. Uh, it, it, it reflects and it, it reflects the events of the history of Israel and how the Lord had delivered His people time and time again. It reflected the events of Egypt, of being delivered out of bondage and slavery in Egypt through, through the Red Sea into the Promised Land. It, it, it marks, it reflects the deliverance from Egypt. And even verse 14, if you'll notice, is actually a direct quote from Exodus chapter 15. Uh, Exodus chapter 15, where the people of God are praising the God of deliverance. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. It reflected the events of the Exodus. It also reflected the events of King David's life. Right? He was delivered time and time again from the hands of those who hated him. Whether it was from his own family, whether it was from enemies, whether it was from Saul. He was delivered from individuals and he was delivered from nations. So it reflects the first king of God's, or the second king, the first one uh, after the heart of God, King David. And it also reflected the events of deliverance from exile of when God brought His people out of Babylon back to the Promised Land. It reflected the events of Ezra and Nehemiah. It reflected the, the rebuilding of the temple. We hear this language of the cornerstone. And so the Old Testament people of God always love this particular psalm. Also, the disciples of Jesus. In Jesus' day, they loved this psalm. They were singing this psalm on that first Monday, Thursday, as they leave the upper room and go into the Garden of Gethsemane. And even before that, on Palm Sunday, they had sung with the crowds of children and those other Jews who had come from Galilee and come to Jerusalem, and they're getting ready to go into the city. They had joined and their voices with them as well. So this is a psalm that was loved by the disciples of Jesus. And we move from uh, our fathers of the faith in the Bible and Bible times, we move into the early centuries of the church and we see someone like the great Augustine loving this particular psalm. It's said that Augustine preached through all the psalms in a 25-year span of time, but he didn't do it sequentially. He didn't go Psalm 1, Psalm 2, Psalm 3 like that. But instead, he did it in a different order, and he saved one particular psalm for the last. Sort of like saving the best thing on your plate to eat last. And guess what psalm that was that Augustine held off until the end? Psalm 118. And he said it wasn't because it's the longest psalm, but he said it's, it was because it was the deepest psalm. And so few understood the depths and the beauties of it. And it was, it was also said that he would oftentimes take maybe one or two sermons to preach through a particular psalm. But when he came to Psalm 118, guess how many sermons he preached? One, two, three, five, ten, fifteen, twenty, thirty-two sermons from this one psalm. Augustine loved it. And then we move to the time of the Reformation, and Martin Luther loved it. Now you would think of all the psalms that Martin Luther would have loved Psalm 46 the most. Why? Because his great hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, is, a, is, is his version of Psalm 46. Well, as much as he loved Psalm 46, he loved Psalm 118 all the more. He said this is my beloved psalm. 
Although the entire Psalter and all the Holy Scripture is dear to me, Luther writes, as my only comfort and source of life, I fell in love with this psalm especially. Therefore, I call it my own. When emperors and kings, the wise and the learned, and even saints could not aid me, this psalm proved a friend and helped me out of a great many troubles. As a result, it's dearer to me. Get this. Now, Luther could be given to a bit of hyperbole, but get what he says. As a result, it's dearer to me than all the wealth, honor, and power of the Pope, the Turk, and the Emperor. I'd rather have this psalm. He loved it. And not only did Luther love it, but our French Protestant ancestors loved it as well. The French Huguenots. The Huguenots were, were uh, oh, they were hunted down. They were persecuted so severely, and particularly in the 1700s. And in the 1700s, there were three uh, Huguenots that were, were hunted down, they were captured, and they were brought for execution. And these three French brothers and fathers in the faith, when caught and when taken to the place of execution, guess what? They sang this song. And they particular, particularly sang verse 24, a French verse, versification of it. This is what they would sing, the English translation. Here now is the happy day for which we've been waiting. Sing praise to God who gives us joy and pleasures unabating. Now if you want to know the entirety of the psalm that they would have sang, you'll find it as number 613 in your hymnal number 613 in your hymnal, that gives you their, their, the English translation of their particular version of Psalm 118. This psalm has been loved by our fathers in the faith down through the centuries. And so that's one of the reasons I turn to it. But I also turn to this psalm because I need it. I need it. Now, I didn't know I needed it as much as I do. I didn't know it when Nick and I and, and Jim we were, and, and, and Buddy, we were working through preparing for these services. We just said, okay, yeah, let's focus on... Uh, Nick said, I think I'm going to be preaching for Psalm 22 on, on Monday, Thursday. And I said, I think I'll do the second half of Psalm 22 uh, for Easter. And then we said, okay, well, so what should we do for, for, Monday, uh, for, for Palm Sunday? Well, of course, Psalm 118. But I didn't know then what I know now. I need this psalm. As I've already mentioned to you, as many of you know, and many of you have seen the video footage, many of you have seen the pictures, my beloved hometown was just devastated this week. If you've never been to Noon, and some of you have been there, it's just this beautiful old southern town with grand oaks, beautiful old homes. It was spared in, in uh, Sherman's March to the Sea because it served as a hospital town. And so you've got all these old mansions. And I wake up, when was that, Thursday morning or Friday morning? 
I wake up and I've got all these messages. Have you seen this? How Are your folks okay? And so I start looking and I haven't been able to stop. And it looks like a war zone. Uh, EF4 tornado. I don't know if you know about the rankings of tornadoes, but they go from one to five. It was a four with 170 mile per hour winds. Dropped down. It went straight through one of the most populated areas of Noonan. It devastated uh, a Baptist uh, church. It devastated the high school. It went up through the main street just south of the town square and kept on going. And my niece's home is messed up. She has no more trees in her yard. Well, they, they're in her yard, but they've fallen. Johnny's cousin has a huge hole in his roof. We have dear friends from White Oak who loved us dearly when we first became ARPs. Their roof's totally gone from their house. Their house is devastated. We've got friends we grew up with in our first church. Their house is no more. Devastation. And you throw that on top of all the other sort of stuff that Lee kind of goes through and many of you go through. The hatred of men, opposition of the world, my own sinful flesh, the devil. And I can be overwhelmed. And I've been overwhelmed this week. And yet the Lord brings me to this song. Verse 13. I was pushed hard so that I was falling. Imagine somebody being pushed from the back, pushed hard, and they're about to face plant. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. The Lord helped me. Why do we turn to Psalm 118? Because of our fathers loved it. I needed it. You do too. And thirdly, why do we need it? Why do we turn to it? Because this psalm so clearly pictures for us Jesus. They all do. But Psalm 118 does it in an amazing way. It points me to the one who sung this very psalm as he goes into the Garden of Gethsemane before he gets down on his knees and cries out unto the Lord. It points me and you to the one who was covenant Lord focused. Covenant Lord focused. Um, you'll, you'll notice in your bulletin, page 11, you'll look at the text and you'll see the title, and it's really not a title here so much as it is a name, you'll see the word L-O-R-D, right? Capital L, little O, little R, little D. That is autocorrect doing a butcher job on this text. I do the same thing. I, I go to Bible Gateway. I copy the text of the Scripture passage that I will preach. I put it in my notes. I drop it down. I did that. And then I look back up at, at, the, at the verses that I just had put in my notes. And I notice something's wrong. And the something wrong is autocorrect, corrected, Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, into capital L, little O, little R, little D. Hey, listen, computer, I know what I'm doing. Stop it. Stop it. 
It's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And for you biblical scholars, what does that mean? That is the covenant name of the Lord, Yahweh. I am that I am. That was how God described Himself to Moses at the burning bush. And the psalmist, and really Jesus, says, Yahweh, the Lord, 28 times in this text. He is zoomed in. He is locked on Yahweh. Imagine Jesus singing this psalm. The psalmist and Jesus could think of no other than the covenant Lord. And in the case of Jesus, the Father. This psalm reveals to us a covenant Lord focused one. It also reveals to us a covenant loved known one. One who knew of God's covenant love. You remember that when we were doing our Lord's Supper series and when we looked at Psalm 118, I said it was a hymn. And that, I, that there are types of psalms. And one of the types of psalms is a hymn. And the hymn type of psalm is known by the first verse being repeated at the end as the last verse. And did you notice that in the text? Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And what do you see in verse 29? The same thing. This is a hymn. And notice, it's a hymn that is surrounded by these two verses. And even better put, it's surrounded by chesed, covenant Love, faithfulness, the steadfast love of the Lord envelops this psalm and Jesus is singing of it. He knew of the Father's covenant love for His people. And He says, the psalmist, and then really Jesus says to His people, now you should be singing of this. Verse 2, let Israel say His Hesed, his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, not just the nation, but now the priests, let them say, His steadfast love endures forever. Then He expands it out, doesn't He? He says, let those who fear the Lord, and that includes us if we've been converted by God's sovereign grace, let those who fear the Lord say, His steadfast love endures forever. Why pick Psalm 118? Because it leads me to Jesus who says, Sing of the covenant love of the Lord. Psalm 118 also tells us of one who was faithful to the covenant. He was the covenant faithful one. He rendered unto the Lord perfect obedience. As you read the psalm, you see what the psalmist is doing. And it's the psalmist really pointing ahead to Jesus. And it's really Jesus is doing it. And what is Jesus doing? He's calling out unto the Lord, right? He's, he's also trusting the Lord. He's placing his faith and trust in Him. He's thanking the Lord and he's praising Him. And then go down to verse 19 and verse 20 where we're told he's the what? He's the righteous one. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. Now who can say that? Open these gates of righteousness to me. This is the gate of the Lord. Though righteous shall enter through it. Who's the only one who can perfectly say that? 
Who's the one who can call for those gates to be thrown open? Jesus. The, the hymnist uh, John Mason Neal really pointed this out. He said, notice, this singer, who is ultimately Jesus, he doesn't say, please open the gates of righteousness to this sinner, this humble sinner. No, open the gates because the righteous one is here. Open the gates of righteousness. The righteous shall enter through it. This singer, this one, was the one who would be obedient to every demand, every requirement of the law in the place of His people for them. He's also the one who suffered the covenant penalty, right? Don't you see that in this psalm as well? The psalmist speaks of the hatred of men in verses 5-7. through Who faced the hatred of men like no other? Jesus. The psalmist sings, Jesus sings of the hatred of nations. To whom do the nations hate? Whom do the nations hate? What does the psalmist say in Psalm 2? Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Jesus is the one who knows the hatred of men. Jesus is the one who knows the hatred of nations. And Jesus is the one who knows even the hatred of His own people. Notice verse 22. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The picture is of builders. They're building the foundation of the temple. They're looking around and there's a stone there. And they say, nah, don't want it. Won't work. Discard it. Don't even worry about it. And they keep building. And then by God's grace later they say, oh, that's the cornerstone. And Jesus takes this verse and He quotes it and He uses it. And who does He use it against? Does He use it against the Romans? He uses it against the Pharisees and the Jews of His day. You think you know hatred? Jesus faced bearing the penalty of covenant disobedience, the covenant disobedience of us, He faced the hatred of men, the hatred of nations, and the hatred of His own people. And then, most of all, He suffered the wrath of His Father. Notice verse 18. What the psalmist faced when he penned this psalm under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit was just an inkling, just an inkling of what Jesus experienced in our place. The psalmist says, the Lord has disciplined me severely. Now can you imagine Jesus singing that in the Garden of Gethsemane, going out to the Garden of Gethsemane? The Lord, psalmist, it's it's not the fatherly discipline I'm about to face. It's not the fatherly discipline of, of the Lord that I'm about to face. I'm about to face His holy wrath against sinners. 
the Lord has disciplined me severely. The psalmist says, well, he's not giving me over to death. And just think, Jesus is thinking, but he is going to give me over to death in my people's place. And then we get to the latter part of the psalm, and, it's, and, and, and this psalmist is, is the one who has experienced Jesus' I mean, the Father's deliverance, and it, now he wants to come into the temple and he wants to make an offering of thanksgiving. Notice verse 26. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God and He has made His light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice, the cords, up to the horns of the altar. And Jesus sings those words and He sings them as the great high priest who brings the sacrifice. But the sacrifice He brings is not the sacrifice of a goat or a lamb or a heifer. He brings Himself. The festal sacrifice is Himself. The horns of the altar, that's the cross, brothers and sisters. Jesus knew it as He sang it, going into the garden. You see, Jesus suffered the covenant penalty that you deserve, that I deserve in our place. And because of it all, He is also the one who secured the covenant blessing. Derek Kidner, a famous um, commentator on the Psalms, he was giving comments on um, verses 14 through about 18. And he put it succinctly. The battle was single-handed. The victory is shared. The battle was single-handed. The victory is shared. Jesus battled on the cross and He shares His victory. The victory of the empty tomb. Notice verse 14. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Okay, singular. Now notice what He does in verse 15. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. What He secured is for the benefit of of those who dwell in the tents. And then notice how the psalm moves from the singular to plural in verses 19 through 25. Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. You see, you see the eyes and you see the me's and you see the my's. Now come down to verse 23. This is the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Why Psalm 118 for today? Because it shows me Jesus, but it also, dear ones, it can also show me you. The psalm can show me you. For you see, the psalm isn't just about Jesus. The psalm is not a solo piece. Now there's some solos in it. But notice, a chorus joins the soloist. This is an antiphonal psalm. It's a responsive song. It includes not only the I of Jesus, it includes the we and the us of His disciples. But here's the question. Does it include you? 
Does it include you? How about you? Are you in the song? Let me ask you, how will you, how you, how will you respond to two verses in this psalm? Look at verse 8 and verse 9. James Montgomery Boyce, in one of his sermons on this, says, he said, if you're the type of person who likes to count, if you like doing these sort of things, and if you, if you want to look at your Bible and you want to look at the verse numbers, now recognize, verse numbers were added. Those are not, those are not inspired. We've added verse, chapter divisions and verse numbers to help us find certain passages in the Bible. But if you're going to count the verse numbers, where's the middle of your Bible? If you let your Bible open up, guess what? It opens up to here. And there are equal number of verses before verse 8 as there are after verse 9. So what's at the core of your Bible? These two verses. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. The question is, in whom do you place your trust? Are you placing your trust in yourself? If you are, this, you're not in this song. Are you placing your trust in men? A certain candidate, a certain favorite figure, a certain entertainment figure, a certain sports star, a, a, a certain really smart person in your life. Are you putting your trust in men? Guess what? They'll fail you. Are you putting your trust in princes? Really important men. Guess what? Even the best of them will do what? They'll fail you. It's better to take refuge in the Lord, in Yahweh. Do you? Let me ask it one other way. What do you say to the Lord and to others? Notice the last two verses once again. What do you say to God and to others? Do you say, you are my God and I will give thanks to you? You are my God and I will extol you? Is that what you say to God? Be honest with yourself. Don't kid yourself. You know, you're sitting here by God's sovereign providence. And here's the time to be honest. Is this what you say to God? You are my God, and I will give thanks to you because I know of your steadfast love. You are my God, and I will worship you. I will praise you. I will extol you. You are my God. Is that what you say? Is that what you say to God? And if it is, is verse 29 what you say to others? Oh, give thanks to the Lord. For He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. I know of God's goodness. I know of His salvation offered and given to me in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm extolling Him. I'm thanking Him for His steadfast love forever. And, and it lasts forever. And I'm going to sing of His steadfast love forever. Now come and join me. Why don't you 
you say that to God? And do you say it to others? If you do, you're in this psalm. You're part of the chorus. You know, we do all these cantatas, right? Christmas, we're going to do one over this week, separated over two services. And, and they're famous for having different voices and then choruses, different voices and different groups and then joining in. Where do we get such an idea? We get it from a psalm like this. Are you in the cantata? Are you in this psalm? Do you give thanks unto the Lord and do you call others to join you? I pray we're all found in this psalm today and all our days. Let us pray. Apart from your sovereign spirit at work, these would be just words. So I ask, O oh Heavenly Father, that your sovereign, all-powerful spirit would open up every heart here that we might grasp something of your steadfast love, that we would follow our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as he enters into the Holy of Holies with his own blood and leads us there. Help us, Lord. We won't believe unless you open our hearts and open our eyes. We won't sing your praises unless you open our voices. So move us this day and move us all of our days to where we would say, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for steadfast love endures forever. Amen. Amen.